Uh, Cult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. I want to give a special shout-out to Brian and Catastrophe for uh, suggesting today's uh, live uh, episode format. Uh, and, and if you uh, enjoy today's episode, I encourage you to visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate. Uh, so that's right. We are live today. Uh, we're not live for those of you listening, uh, not on the 4th of March, 2022, uh, but we recorded this originally live. Uh, think about it like a late night talk show. Uh, those are recorded live, but uh, you don't watch them live. So we've recorded this live with our, our friends on Discord, and uh, and now you're listening to it wherever it is you are. Speaking of our friends on Discord, uh, we welcome you to join us on our Discord channel. You can find links uh, to that on our website, also on our Instagram, Facebook, any place where you find us. Luke, can you make that any easier? Do you just search Occult Confessions on Discord? Um, well, as of today, our Discord is now a community Discord, so you can actually just search Occult Confessions and we will come up. Uh, otherwise, you can access us through any of our social media platforms uh, with our link tree. It'll take you to our Discord join link, so you can join us that way. But yeah, currently you can just search us on Discord and we will appear. So if you're interested in enjoying live content or, uh, I don't know, discussing Buffy episodes from what I can tell, uh, join our Discord. It's a wonderful community of folks and uh, we would love to see you there. Okay, so today uh, we're going to get st- we're going to do our, our today's topic is Ukraine, uh, specifically Ukrainian uh, witch lore, witch and demon lore, to to be more specific, uh, from a particular writer named Nikolai Gogol. Uh, and and part of the reason we're doing this, uh, I just want to say before we we get into this, uh, Brian suggested this idea and, and I liked it. Uh, certainly at, at this point in history, maybe you're listening to this episode two or three years from now, uh, Vladimir Putin has made the decision to invade Ukraine. Uh, I, I think that's the best way to phrase it. I, I don't know that the people of Russia are entirely behind him on this, but the army to some extent is, uh, or at least they're doing the work uh, that Putin has put them to. Uh, I don't by any stretch believe that what we're doing is going to uh, help the Ukrainian people. Uh, however, uh, I want to encourage folks uh, to donate today. Um, and uh, I want you to donate, if you can, to the Polish uh, hum- Polish Humanitarian Action, uh, because a lot of Ukrainian refugees, of course, uh, will be exiting into Poland and organizations like uh, uh, Poland uh, Humanitarian Action are exactly the kinds of organizations who will be receiving them. Uh, I, I also think uh, it's important to make the case, since part of the argument uh, that, that Putin made going into Ukraine was that Ukrainians did not have a distinct culture, I'd like to make the case that uh, they, they do, uh, in an occult way today. Uh, I will not be touching on all things Ukraine, uh, but specifically that Ukrainians have a distinct perspective on some topics that uh, this community enjoys, like witchcraft and demonology. Okay. Let's get going. The great Ukrainian writer Nikolai Gogol, probably best known for his play satirizing Russia's imperial bureaucracy, uh, namely the government inspector, well, he began his career by publishing tales based on the folklore of his home country, Ukraine. While Gogol was required reading for Russian students, and Vladimir Nabokov considered him to be the greatest writer in the history of the Russian language, His name is not as familiar to many in a Western audience. He lived in the first half of the 19th century and composed his Ukrainian tales to capitalize on a vogue for Ukrainian folklore among the same Petersburg literati. Ukrainians with their rich stepland farms, colorful Cossacks, and unique traditional dress and customs possessed the aura of deep authenticity in contrast to the St. Petersburg elite. Peter the Great or had built St. Petersburg on a swamp just across the border from Ukraine as a, a sort of monument to his effort to elevate Russian culture on a European model. He wanted to make all Russians kind of like Europeans. For a period in Russian history, Russia's elite were more likely to know how to speak French than Russian. That's right, Russian aristocrats didn't even speak Russian. And the people of St. Petersburg often felt themselves culturally adrift They were neither fully Russian nor purely European. 
Ukraine appeared to these aristocrats as a kind of salt-of-the-earth ideal, and this gave Gogol an opportunity to make the most of his heritage. His Ukrainian stories established his, his dreamlike style, and they told of devils, witches and wedding feasts, holiday traditions, dark-browed Ukrainian beauties, and the blacksmiths who loved them. In Ukrainian Orthodox religion, demons were largely marginal figures and rarely featured at the center of any art or discourse. Unlike American lore, which tended to portray the devil in a singular uh, incarnation, uh, that is to say Satan or Lucifer, Gogol's stories describe devils in the plural. There were legions of fork-tailed monsters rising out of hell to play tricks on townsfolk and, and farmers alike. This was common in Ukrainian religious iconography, where the devil was rarely depicted, the devil, the one devil, in images. Uh, in fact, uh, the devil only appeared in images uh, with St. Michael or in images of the harrowing of hell. But the devil's minions, acting in pairs or groups, were often depicted. These lesser demons were had short wings, tiny tails, and shaggy hair. Uh, oddly, they didn't have horns. In the night before Christmas, which was a very different night than the one with the sugar plum fairies, Europeans and Americans are used to hearing about, a devil snatches the moon from the sky and hides it in his pocket. This particular devil is annoyed with a blacksmith who paints in his spare time and just so happens to have painted a very striking image of a devil being whipped on its way out of hell uh, during that harrowing we were talking about. This anti-devil art so irks the little devil that he swipes the moon to get the blacksmith into trouble with Chube, whose daughter, Oksana, has super sexy dark brows. And the blacksmith would love to marry this daughter. Chube, you see, is planning to go out drinking hot spiced vodka with the deacon on Christmas Eve as the carolers wander from door to door and people throw sausages and dumplings into their bags in a kind of uh, yuletide Halloween tradition. When Chube discovers how dark it is outside, the devil figures he'll decide to stay home. Except that the devil is wrong, and Chube, thirsty for some of that hot spiced vodka, goes out anyway. And the blacksmith comes to court Oksana, who's too interested in looking at her own dark curls in the mirror to care much about the blacksmith. She laughs at the humble blacksmith and says if the blacksmith can fetch the Tsaritsa's booties for her, then she'll marry him. I'd like to see where you're going to get booties such as I could wear on my feet, unless you bring me the ones the Tsaritsa wears. If the blacksmith brings me the very booties the Tsaritsa wears, I give my word that I'll marry him at once. Luckily, the blacksmith's mother happens to be a witch, and the devil happens to be loving up on mommy in her house, just as Oksana is making this request. For Ukrainians, witches were not considered worse than other sinners, and for the most part didn't need to make a special pact to serve the devil, since all sinners were considered servants of the devil anyhow. A pact was just sort of like, uh, redundant. Witchcraft was a grave sin, but so was perjury, adultery, and paganism. Witches only differed in their personal relationship with the devil, which these other sinners lacked. Back to our story. The moon slips out of the devil's pocket, pops back up into the sky, and the devil ends up in a sack on the blacksmith's back. But instead of tempting the blacksmith into sin, the blacksmith threatens to beat the devil if he doesn't take him to the Tsaritsa. So he jumps on the devil's back and rides him all the way to St. Petersburg. There, the blacksmith finds himself in the company of some Cossacks, who help him into the Tsaritsa Catherine's court, where they are meant to have an audience with her. Catherine is amused by the blacksmith's humble request for a pair of her booties, and she sends him home with a pair. Oksana, fearing her blacksmith was dead since he'd been carried off by a little devil, is overjoyed to see him and agrees to marry him with or without the booties. In this tale, both the witch and the devil are somewhat silly and relatively unthreatening in keeping with the overall tone of the story, but... This was more or less unique to this particular story among Gogol's canon of Ukrainian folklore. In other accounts of the witch and the devil, the tales take a decidedly darker tone. And more on those to come here on Occult Confessions. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors. Moderating our Discord uh, live listeners today is our Producia Discordia, Luke Kenneman. Luke, what's up, man? Howdy. 
what's going on in Discord land? Uh, are, are were folks enchanted by my tale? Uh, they. <laughs> well, we had a bit of a fun uh, political cartoon referencing the uh, javelin missile launcher, which is a great anti-tank weapon. But <laughs> <Okay>. I am <laughs> hearing enough. from Brian and Alex and Dr. Ray that they are still intently listening. They're pretty enchanted and they seem to be enjoying themselves. Very good. Uh, we're off to a good start then. Also joining us uh, today, uh, we have uh, Savannah Verrett, sister of the 84th degree, who will be doing 100% of the female characters in today's episode. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, Brandon Walls, a silver-tongued shadow, who will be doing 100% of the evil characters in today's episode. Hello. <laughs> Very nice. And, and Johnny Cook, uh, Johnny Cook, patron progenitor, who will be doing 100% of the Goggles in today's episode. How's it going? <laughs> you know, I know all of your titles right off the top of my head. I don't know what that says about me. Good things only, I think. Yeah, you're, you're attentive. <laughs> I'm attentive to my own cult. Yeah. All right, let's get into this. Shall we pledge? Can we try to pledge? Should we try to pledge with all these people, Luke? Oh, yes. <laughs> Like them typing it? No, 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 no. Oh, I no, mean, no. Five of us. That's enough. Oh. If we get the whole chorus together, I, uh, we may raise something from the dead. We don't want to do that. Okay, here we go. We, the members, members of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full understanding of the history of the occult as far as we know it. That sounded terrible. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> also, hi, Octarine. What's up? She said hi, Savannah. <laughs> <laughs> hi. Uh, Winter Hair is also here. There's a lot of folks now in the Discord letting us know that they're here. Uh, I can't pronounce it, but Rob, you could pronounce it earlier. Catastrophe. <laughs> yes, as well My as Yuki and Luxa all joining us live. Oh, hello, which is friends. Fantastic. Yeah, oh, so it's like a who's who of, of wonderful people. Hello, hello, guys. <laughs> so nice to spend a Friday evening with you. Okay. Uh, shall we get back to Gogol? My man. N Nikolai Gogol led a restless life. He was born uh, on the 1st of April, 1809. I don't think we had an April Fool's Day at, at that point in history. In the village, I don't think a baby can ever be an April Fool anyhow. Luke, what do you think? Is that possible? What, how, what would that mean? What would that be? Uh, <laughs> Feel weird if the doctor's like, uh, you had a baby. Just kidding. April Fools and there's a lizard. Just, yeah. I don't know what you would do. It's a crappy April Fools an infant. Anyway, he was born on April Fool's Day in 1809 in the village of, oh boy. <laughs> Again, thanks to Catastrophe for sending me the correct pronunciations of these. Sorochinsky. And, and I feel extra pressure because Catastrophe is, is currently listening to me try to pronounce these things. He was born in Sorochinsky in Mirhorod uh, in the Poltava province. He went to boarding school in, <laughs> doing my pronunciations again, Nitsin, uh near Kiev and graduated in December 1828. Uh, Lou, can you tell me if Catastrophe is uh, okay with what I just did? He or she uh, or they. The they, cat. Yes, the cat. They say you're doing great. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I need this. I think, I, I think I've always needed this. I've just needed listeners telling me live that I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> At the age of 19, he moved to St. Petersburg to seek his fortune. He failed in a tryout for the Imperial Theater and became quickly disenchanted with the city and sought to travel abroad to the coastal town of Lubeck in Germany. He owed money to the custody board, which his mother had sent him, but instead of paying his debts, he used it to go on vacation. He wrote to his mother with a possibly fabricated story about an unrequited love uh, that he had to escape from and told her that she could sell off the land that belonged to him in order to recover the money. Later, he told her he had a medical condition, which had forced him to leave to seek treatment in a coastal sanitarium, but his mother, creative lady, 
combined these tales of a sickness and an unrequited love and came to the conclusion that in fact uh, he had gotten involved with a courtesan who had given him a venereal disease and that he fled to escape the shame of it all. None of this was true, however. He really just wanted to travel. After two months away, he returned to publish his first short story. In his letters, he also asked his mother for details on Ukrainian culture and customs, which would form the backdrop for his first collection, Evenings on a Farm Near Dekanika. Alexander Pushkin, you guys know this guy, widely regarded as the greatest Russian poet of the time period. I'm pretty sure he died in a duel. Uh, he admired this book and wrote a review praising Gogol's storytelling. This launched Gogol on a steady trajectory to literary stardom, but in his biography of Gogol, written more than a century later, Vladimir Nabokov regarded the Ukrainian tales as the least of Gogol's work. Nabokov's opinion was perhaps colored by the fact that he'd been forced to read Evenings as a Russian schoolboy. I, I want to know, Luke, what, what folks out there were forced to read as Russian schoolboys. Um, you know, they were given the option for the cat and the hat, except for the cat was not wearing a hat. It was just the cat. A lot of the Dr. Seuss stuff uh, was uh, twisted what, in some different ways. That's what everybody was forced to read was cat yeah. and the hat. Yep. Just that. <laughs> I'll repeat. I think that this would have been high school reading for Nabokov, uh, like mid 20th century, uh, maybe a bit earlier. Uh, fine. Lolita, I think came out in the, I don't know the, I want to say the 60s. Uh, um, Brian in the uh, Discord chat raises a good point in Russia that Cat in the Hat reads you. <laughs> uh, we also have from Winter Hair the anti capitalist Rainbow Fish. Which is one in of my a way, I think favorites. Rainbow Fish already is anti capitalist, isn't, isn't Rainbow <laughs> Fish? <laughs> it's distributing, redistributing the scales. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Among the stories uh, in that collection was a story called St. John's Eve, which featured another devil. So let's get into another story from Gogol's collection. This devil took the name of Basavryuk and was in the habit of giving ribbons, earrings, and necklaces to pretty girls who took them somewhat reluctantly and in the night were visited by horned swamp demons who strangled them. Uh, if they took a necklace, that is, uh, or bit their finger if they took a ring or their ear if they took an earring or pulled on their braids if they took a ribbon. And you'd like quickly snatch off the jewelry that, you know, the devil gave you. Uh, but enough about the Savriuk for the moment. St. John's Eve is the story of Petrus, who is in love with the beautiful Pedorka. But her father won't allow the couple to marry because... Petrus is poor, and he has arranged a marriage with a rich Pole. A uh, rich Pole meaning a person of Polish descent, uh, not a place where you hang a flag. In sorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. It's, it's, in sorrow. I don't know. It wasn't really a joke against the Poles there. I, I just wanted to clarify. In sorrow, Pedorka sent her. Because, you know, when I listen to things, so I would be the person listening and think a pole. He wanted to marry her to like a, a vertical. I, I, I'm the kind of person that would misunderstand. I interpret it as a Polish person. Okay. So you, and I also have the script in front of me. I can see that's capitalized. <laughs> I know it's a proper noun. So it's giving about. it away for, for the, your average listener trying to get to work. Thinks that there's poles involved. Petorka sent her six-year-old brother Ivis to break the bad news to Petrus that she could not marry him. Ivis, my dear, Ivis, my love, run to Petrus, my golden child, quick as an arrow shot from a bow. Tell him everything. I would love his brown eyes. I would kiss his white face, but my lot forbids me. So Petrus went to the tavern to drown his sorrows, where he stumbled across the devil, Basavryuk. And Basavryuk, like a good devil, offered to help him solve his troubles. He brought Petrus into the forest to pluck the flower from a flowering fern which flowers only once a year on the night of St. John's Eve. St. John's Eve, by the way, referring to the uh, eve of the day where we celebrate St. John the Baptist. As soon as Petrus plucked the flower, a strange vision unfolded before him. 
Look, Petro. Presently, a beauty will stand before you. Do whatever she tells you, or you'll be destroyed forever. Instead of a beauty, Petrus beheld a dog who transformed into a cat and then an ugly old hag. And that was as good as it was going to get for Petrus as far as the beauty is concerned. This old hag was, of course, a witch who whispered an incantation over the flower. Petrus threw the flower, and where it landed, the witch told him to dig. Petrus dug and struck a treasure. But the more he dug the more that treasure sunk. You won't see any gold until you get some human blood, said the witch, who was suddenly standing with Pedorka's little brother Ivas, clothed in a sheet. Petru shrank back, unwilling to decapitate the little boy as the witch instructed, but the devil wasn't done with him. The witch stamped her foot. Blue flame burst from the ground. Its hole inside lit up and looked as if it were molded from crystal and everything under the ground became visible as in the palm of your hand. Gold coins, precious stones, and chests, and cauldrons were heaped up right under the place where they stood. His eyes glowed and his mind darkened. As if insane, he seized a knife and innocent blood spurted before his eyes. A devilish guffawing thundered on all sides. Hideous monsters leaped before him in throngs. The witch, clutching the beheaded corpse, drank its blood like a wolf. Petrus suddenly possessed two bags of gold, and Pedorka married him. Uh, but everyone wondered over what had become of little Ivis. Hey, didn't you have a brother? People whispered over where Petrus had got his wealth. Hey, weren't you poor? So suddenly, so suddenly had he gotten rich. And Petrus, hearing all these whisperings, grew despondent and strange, haunted by the memory of what he had done, or rather, the lack of a memory, since he couldn't recall murdering Ivis. All he knew was that he had gone to the woods with the devil and was made suddenly rich. But he was troubled by whatever occupied that vacant spot in his mind, and he grew haggard. That is, until his wife sought the assistance of an old hag to remedy her husband's sickly disposition. As soon as the witch from the forest appeared, Petrus remembered exactly what he had done. The hag vanished, and a child of about seven, in a white shirt with covered head, stood in the middle of the room. The sheet flew off. Ivis! But the phantom became all bloody from head to foot and lit up the whole room with a red glow. The room filled with smoke, and Petrus was reduced to ash. His gold turned to shards of glass, and Pedorka joined a convent, to which she donated a beautiful, jewel-encrusted icon of the Mother of God. What are, what, what's our reactions, Luke, out there in Discord land to, uh, to the story of Petrus and Pedorka? Well, Brian brought up an interesting point, and by interesting point, it's something that made me... Uh chuckle but i try to keep it to myself uh, he, did <laughs> he mentioned that it's a hag that fixes people that are haggard that's yes the hag causes the haggardness one becomes haggardy as a result of having hagged this is true <laughs> no i'm i'm curious what uh the listeners current thoughts are are and you know, if you kill your brother and then you forget that you killed your brother because you're hanging out with the devil. Well, you killed your girlfriend's brother, if that makes yeah. it any better. It's not your own yeah, brother. Yeah. You killed her brother, but then you married her. I guess he's a brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, you killed your brother-in-law, yeah. I mean, he wasn't quite because, you you know, you killed him before you got married, but you were going oh, to get so, married. So he never will be. You don't have to worry about it. Except the ghost is kind of your brother-in-law and is super annoyed at you. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> The story of Petrus suggests a kind of demonic possession with his depression and sudden loss of memory just before his death. In another story called V, uh, V-I-Y, it's a made-up word, it's a made-up monster. Uh, the entity V was something Gogol created, although the rest of the story does reflect folkloric concepts from the culture. Gogol uh, tells us in this story of a witch who rode on a philosophy student's back. Uh, this philosophy student was just sort of out 
wander in this field and he happened on this cottage and this witch answered the door and he was like, uh, can I stay here? And, and then in the night she, uh, she like visited him and, uh, she jumped on his back and, uh, and he'd like shot off into this field. He started running. Uh, and as she was running, as he was running, he was running so fast that his body was going to wear out. Uh, they, they, he, he was burning up essentially. And uh, he started speaking formulae that he remembered for exorcisms. And gradually, the witch weakened until he managed to jump off of her and get up on her back. And then he rode her to death. Later, uh, back at the witch's village, the man heard tales of an earlier victim who the witch had ridden to death. And, and that guy turned to ashes, sort of like Petrus. When the witch attempted to rise from her coffin to kill the poor philosophy student who's really having a heck of a time, he drew a circle around himself and used incantations to drive her off, which succeeded twice. But the third time she managed to raise that monster V who scared him to death. I know why he perished, said his friend, the theology student, because he got scared. If he hadn't been scared, the witch couldn't have done anything to him. Now, this story, much like the experience of poor Petrus on St. John's Eve, suggests the witch's and the devil's capacity to get inside a man's head and corrupt or kill him. Biblical tales of demonic possession and Jesus' exorcisms were a regular feature of Ukrainian Orthodox sermons. The theology held that the devil could not possess a person without God's permission, and so every instance of possession was a judgment and punishment for the wicked, or a test for the virtuous from God. Possession served two purposes from a divine perspective. The torture it inflicted on the demoniac served as an example to others, and it could educate and elevate a sinner to rescue him from eternal damnation. Stories of exorcisms tended to revolve around shrines or relics. Priests were actually not the heroes of Ukrainian exorcisms, but rather they were guides who brought the demoniac to the necessary relic, which allowed the victim to be exorcised and healed through Christ or the Christian saints. It was Christ or the saints who had the power, you see, so that the Orthodox priest is a bit more humble in, in uh, his approach to this whole exorcism thing. Thoughts on exorcisms, Luke? Big fan. Bring him back. <laughs> you just think they're swell? Yeah, you know. Anything from the Discord chat? Uh, I We do actually have one uh, from Savannah. Uh, what does demoniac mean? Uh, one who is possessed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really like that word. Scholarly term of art. It just makes it simpler than having to say every time the possessed person, you say the demoniac. Mm, it's a pretty word, too. <laughs> I guess. You don't want to be one. No. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Alex from Atlanta says it's his new favorite word. Demoniac. Okay, so it's catching on. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> to close this episode, uh, I want to turn to perhaps the darkest of Gogol's Ukrainian tales, and I don't want you to worry. We're not going to close this quickly. This is a long story. <laughs> so, so hang with us. This tale is The Terrible Vengeance. It already sounds foreboding, does it not, Luke? I work in public school. I, I just expect <laughs> vengeance all the time. <laughs> Every day is a terrible vengeance. <laughs> the, the beautiful Katerina is married to the Cossack master Danilo Barulbash, and together they have a one-year-old child. Uh, some of you out there may be asking yourself, what's a Cossack? All right, well, when you think of those tall furry hats, you know what I'm talking about? Those hats? I do. When you, you think of like a stereotypical Russian yeah. wearing that big hat, that's not actually a Russian thing. It's a Cossack thing. Uh, <laughs> it was the traditional headgear of the Cossacks. Uh, and in a way, I guess it was a Russian thing because the Cossacks lived in both Ukraine and Russia, although the history of the Cossacks is, is a, uh, a bit more tied to Ukraine. In the 14th century, the, the Poles, the Polish people that is, forced many Ukrainians into servitude and the Cossacks fled. And they established their own colonies and uh, they sort of became these, I, I want to say elite warriors. Uh, and they, they fought 
they fought the Poles and eventually had to turn to the Russians for support to try to, to oust the Poles from Ukraine. The warlike Cossacks dominated Ukraine in the 16th century, uh, but they spent the 16th century fighting off invaders. So by dominated, I don't mean like they just got to chill and you know write neat plays and do podcasts and stuff. <laughs> they were fighting the whole time. So they fought with the Polish and the Lithuanians, uh, who often were together. They fought with the Russians, and they fought with Asian invaders, uh, with the country ultimately falling to the Russians. Uh, this is as good a place as any to pause and, and reflect a little bit on why Ukraine is a unique country, why it's not Russia. In Gogol's lifetime, it was actually called Little Russia because it, it was part of Russia, but by referring to it as uh, you know, little Russia, you're already marking it off as a separate place. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a separate place in large part because of everything I just described. There are, they're a blend of, they, they're like a kind of melting pot of, of some Russian culture, some Polish Lithuanian culture, some of that Asian culture. Uh, and, and they're a unique group of people uh, who have more or less identified themselves as a unique group of people going back at least to the middle of the the millennium i guess the past millennium uh, so quite a long time the ukrainians have identified as separate of course they identify as separate again after the fall of the soviet union um, but but there's a long history there is what i'm trying to say and only because i'm pretty sure Putin doesn't listen to this. Okay. That's uh, yet. <laughs> Putin out there on the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Always expanding the audience. I mean, it's it's similar to looking at England now and then looking at what New England was, you know, they began colonizing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're calling it Little Russia is a little bit like calling our United States uh, New England. Yeah, they, we became a separate entity just as Ukraine did in part because there was such a distinct culture that developed. Uh, yeah, and and Putin only speaks Russian, I think. So we're we're, we're pretty safe here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we were telling a story, weren't we? It was about vengeance. Yes. <laughs> Anything from our Discorders before I get back to the vengeance? Uh, just one specific to Putin uh, from Alex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Asking if, in the event that he does join the Discord, <laughs> are we allowed to bully him? Is that okay? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty confident over here. I did hear uh, some of the maintenance guys at the college today talking about the possibility that he could turn off the propulsion jets on the uh, International Space Station and drop it on the U.S., but that seems far-fetched to me, so go ahead, Alex. Awesome. Alex, (laughs) you've got our full support. (laughs) Well, you've got got our 51% support. There you go. (laughs) Getting back to Danilo. Our Cossack, our Cossack master. Uh, he has a strange and unsettling relationship with his father-in-law. This is going to be a dark story. I, I, I can't say this in any other way. This is a dark tale. One day, after Katerina and Danilo had just returned from a wedding, the old man, the father-in-law, came to pick an argument with his son-in-law, and that argument erupted into a violent clashing of sabers that only abated when Katerina begged her husband not to risk her father killing him and leaving his child fatherless. Strange sounds and lights uh, subsequently the next night issued from a nearby castle high up on the hilltop beyond uh, Danilo's land. And Danilo, Danilo set out to discover the origin of these mysterious happenings. And he climbed a tree and he spotted his father-in-law crawling into a hole a sorcerer's hole, if you will, beside the dark castle. Adjusting his position, he watched as the old man he had just been clashing sabers with the day before brought forth a great cauldron, tossed in some herbs, and conjured a cloud that eventually took the shape of a woman, and then Danilo's own wife, namely the old man's daughter, Katerina. The cloud spoke to the sorcerer. Oh, why did you summon me? Do you remember everything I told you yesterday? Repent, father. I'll have my way. I'll make you do what I want. Katarina will love me. Oh, you're a monster and not my father. 
It's true you've acquired the power by your unclean magic of summoning a soul and tormenting it, but only God alone can make it do what is pleasing to him. No, never while I am in her body will with Katarina venture upon an ungodly deed. Father, the last judgment is near. Yeah, Master Danilo was shocked, of course, and horrified by this scene, and he went home to ask if his wife knew that her father was an antichrist. Like you do. It's an awkward question to bring up to your wife. Hey, uh, do you have any idea? Daddy was an antichrist. Katerina had dreamed all that Danilo had seen, and was soon convinced that her paterfamilias was an incestuous magician. Uh, so I don't know if you caught that in that conversation. Uh, Daddy wants to sex his daughter. Yes. Gross. Not Gross. the best. Not the, not the best, Luke. Not the best. It's, it's, it's sub-ideal. It's less than ideal to want to have sex with your adult daughter. <laughs> or a daughter of any kind. Let me, let me just put that out there. Yeah, I'll second that there. Elderly, adult, at any stage of life. So, Donillo locked his father-in-law up in a dungeon, intending to have him executed by dragging him behind a mare, which I guess was a common form of execution for the Cossacks. But the old man called to Katerina from his prison cell and begged her to release him so that he could repent of his sins and save his eternal soul. If I manage to get out of here, I will abandon everything. I will repent. I will go to the caves, put a harsh hair shirt on my body, and pray to God night and day. In a moment of weakness, Katerina released him. And she knew right away that this was a bad idea. He vanished, leaving a log, a chained log, a log in chains, where he had been. That's kind of badass. I don't know where he got the log. Anyway. Katerina immediately regretted releasing him, but could not bring herself to confess to her husband what she had done. Danilo was furious, but soon his mood changed. He was haunted by the feeling that death was near, his death specifically, and he begged Katerina to look after their son when he was gone. As if in answer to this dark premonition, Polish soldiers began to gather around the Cossacks' land, and a battle broke out between them. Uh, let me repeat, historically, uh, this was often the case. Like just Polish, Polish guys would just suddenly roll up and, and try to take some Cossack territory. The Cossacks you know, just were constantly having to battle back and forth. Danilo fought valiantly, but in the midst of the fighting, his father-in-law, who was not Polish, suddenly appeared, wielding a pistol, and shot his son-in-law dead. But the sorcerer was not through torturing his poor daughter. Killed her husband, uh, wanted to tell, told her ghost that he was going to have sex with her, and he's got more coming. He appeared by magic beside the cradle of her fatherless son, swearing to kill the child. I will stab your baby, Katerina, if you do not marry me. Let's just take a second and let that sink in, shall we? Not something you hear every day. No, I mean, as an expecting father, just stab me first, you know? Don't don't try and stab my baby. No, right? I, I, I have a baby. I don't want to hear that. No. 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 It's a day ruiner. Uh, when I didn't have a baby, I didn't want to hear that. Fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> but some babies, though, am I right? <laughs> oh, Luke. <laughs> oh, ouch. Uh, in that regard, uh, winter hair did mention what if the baby stabs you first do you, is there is <laughs> your ground, your ground law for cradles yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know if it, I, we'd have to turn to florida i think would be the first place where they would have mm. a stand your ground cradle law maybe texas that's fair that's fair uh, i think we have some florida texas people out there as i recall at this exact moment they can let us know if there's a stand your ground cradle law is <laughs> the baby wielding a knife. That's a frightening sight, a baby wielding a knife. That's child's yeah. play, isn't it? Cossacks gathered in her home to protect her and her child, but in the night, Katerina awoke with a scream and a dark sense that her child had been killed. And there, her baby lay, stabbed in his cradle, dead. See, we were making jokes, and now a baby has died. Oh, yeah. 
In the coming days, Katerina began to descend into madness, dancing and singing aimlessly while the Cossacks looked on gravely. That is, until a strange, particular Cossack appeared, claiming to be a friend of her husband's. We fought the Crimeans and the Turks. I would have never expected such an end for my companion. I lived with Danilo Barobash and, like brother with brother, we hid from the Crimeans under a dam. I've come because of a promise I made to him. Look here, Brother Coprians, he said, If by the will of God I'm no longer in this world, take my wife and let her be your wife. He lies! It's him! It's my father! He's come to fall and seduce me! Katerina lunged at the stranger with a dagger and they fought, and the visitor tore the dagger away from her and stabbed her through the vital organs, killing her. In the tussle, his true identity had revealed itself. Katerina was right. The strange Cossack had been no Cossack at all, but her father, the sorcerer. Yeah. So now he's murdered the whole family. Yes. He wanted to sex his daughter. Yes. Murdered her instead. Hey. He had two choices. Having murdered his entire family, the sorcerer began to wander the whole of Ukraine, haunted by his deed. He had a vision of a knight on the peak of the highest mountain, a knight that seemed to look into the dark depths of his soul, or the place where his soul should have been. It was a vision uh, that filled him, filled him with a sense of dread and foreboding. This particular knight was the spirit of Ivan, who had been traversing the treacherous chasm in the Carpathians when his jealous brother pushed him and his son and his horse over the edge. Clinging to a branch with his son tied to his body, he cried out to his brother for help, but the brother only reached down his lance and pushed Ivan to his doom. God offered to let the unjustly murdered brother Ivan punish his sibling after he died, so basically there's this scene where, where the two brothers are standing there and God's like, hey, Ivan, remember when your brother killed you like that? And uh, Ivan's like, yeah, I, I remember that. And he's like, I, I want to I do awful things to your brother for that. What should I do? And Ivan's like, let me think for a second. And he says, uh, I, shall, I shall curse my brother's line. I shall curse my brother's line. Yeah, so, he's got to really mess up his... Uh his whole future, even after his future's done. Uh, sons, sons, and the sons, sons, and the sons, sons, sons. The sins of the father. Yes. Make it so, he said, that uh, my brother's descendants have no happiness on earth, and the last one of his family line be such an evildoer as the world has never seen. And let me, Ivan, return on horseback to punish this man. So you see where this is going, I think. Lost yeah. in the woods. The sorcerer suddenly found himself face to face with the knight. There we have the last of that evildoer brother's line being the worst evildoer the world had ever seen, murdering his entire family and trying to have sex with his daughter. And now there he is face to face with vengeance itself. The knight, the knight Ivan, the dead knight Ivan, the ghost knight. And it's sort of anticlimactic. At first, because the knight just grabs the sorcerer and he dies. He just dies of, of fright. Gogol liked people dying of fright, so he just died of, of fear right there. However, then Gogol, you know, has some fun here because he says uh, the, the man died and then he saw with the eyes of a dead man. So his ghost is now seeing through his dead body. The sorcerer felt himself tossed into a pit where the legions of the dead rose up and set upon him, tearing at his body eternally in a great abyss of suffering. So somewhere in the Carpathian Mountains right now, there's a dead man getting eaten by a bunch of other dead guys. Like forever? It, it's, I mean, eternally. Oh, I good, guess it, good, good. You know, until paradise on earth and all that apocalypse stuff then it would probably end. They'd go do it somewhere else anyway. Okay, that really yeah. harsh the vibe. They have to take all of these folks that are eating the sorcerer, put them on great uncle Ivan's horse. Great uncle Ivan has to take them elsewhere. <laughs> Anywhere else. Yes. <laughs> you guys, you're killing, killing the mood here in paradise with all this corpse eating you're doing. 
this punishment was actually unique uh, in the folklore. In reality, Ukrainian witchcraft trials were generally more mild than Western European trials. They followed Polish legal codes, but the influence of the Orthodox Church made them a little bit exotic, even to the Poles. Trials were mostly held in the 17th and 18th century, and they almost never ended in executions. Any comments on the uh, the end there of our vengeance, our tale of terror and vengeance? Well, quite interestingly, uh, Winter Hare, uh, her ancestors, his ancestors, their ancestors, I, I'm really bad at it about assuming gender today, yeah. uh, are from a village in the Carpathian Mountains. Oh, really? She, they, by the way. Thank you, Winter Hare. I appreciate that. She, they, uh, from a village, do, do, do they know the name of the village? Oh, are you familiar with the name of the village, out of curiosity? Also, while we're at it, are there any dead people there eating other dead people? That is also a great, great question. Yeah, I mean, have you heard, you know, any family stories? Well, I've heard, I've heard that they've put a fence around it just because it was really upsetting some of the passerbys. <laughs> so how far out is the fence? <laughs> it's Winter Hare's grandmother uh, were Kapartho Russin. Oh, I'm sorry, Winter Hare from Slovaki. <laughs> um, Slovakian? Slovakian? Yes. Slovakian. So they were Carpo Ruskies or Slovakian. Yes. So, something like that. I'm not on the chat. I'm just making it up as I go here. <laughs> okay. So uh, those were some of uh, Gogol's Ukrainian tales. That's it. We did them. We did the tales. Uh, the witchy tales, anyway. There are other tales. Uh, but these were the tales that I thought most would appeal to to uh, to this topic. Although regarded as a great Russian writer, not only was Gogol Ukrainian, but he spent most of his time outside of Russia and Ukraine. Gogol passed most of his writing life abroad, 12 of his last 16 years, including a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. His whole career actually only spanned about a dozen years. Gogol died on the 4th of March, 1852. Yes, uh, we are here doing our live recording on the anniversary of Gogol's Death, and I'm about to do math. Let's see, 50, 170 years? I'm just going to go with yes. Yeah, I think it's been 170 years on this very day, but the Russian calendar might be a bit off. So anyhow, died at the age of 42. He had been on a hunger strike in an effort to cure his melancholy or depression, and this led to anemia of the brain, which his doctors attempted to cure by plunging him into a warm bath and then dousing him with cold water after which they attached leeches to his nose, which is a bit of an irony because one of Gogol's more famous stories is called The Nose. The combination of his already poor condition and these ill-advised treatments brought the writer Gogol to a relatively early grave. Uh, and so concludes our conversation on Ukrainian folklore. To help Ukrainian refugees, as I mentioned at the beginning, I suggest, uh, and I have donated to Polish Humanitarian Action, you can find them at www.pah.org.pl. And since you are listening to this episode in English, I would suggest you put the backs, uh, forward slash en at the end, which will get you to the English page. Uh, that's www.pah.org.pl slash en. Uh, and that again is the Polish Humanitarian Action. Uh, this is uh, uh, one of a... a a variety of recommended charities. Uh, you never know where your money's going to go, I think, in, in a war-torn situation. Uh, but when you're donating to a neighbor country, uh, which is receiving those refugees, specifically a humanitarian group, uh, you can you'd rest pretty well assured that your money's going to go where it needs to go. All right, Luke, any, any closing thoughts for us today? I do. I have a clarification from Winterhair. Karpatha Rusin. Okay. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. That's it. Those are our closing thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I turn it over to our live listeners. Any any final thoughts, guys? Oh, well, there, there's typing happening. Okay. This is exciting. We're getting, we're getting some great jobs. Thank you, Brian. It's very thankful that we did this today. 
Alex from Atlanta enjoyed the episode. He thought it was fun. He said, thank you. Luxa108, this was fun. Also enjoyed it. What's up, Luxa? Winter hair, three black hearts. Olivia would be happy. <laughs> yes. Well, little Olivia will know. <laughs> All right. While you're gathering any more, Luke, I will say that our sources today were the collected tales of Nikolai Gogol, translated and edited by Richard P. Pavir and uh, Larissa Volokonsky. Uh, the biography Nikolai Gogol by Vladimir Nabokov. Uh, in case any of you were wondering, I, I did make brief mention of this, but the reason I have mentioned Nabokov as if you should know him is because he, a uh, famous Russian author who emigrated to the United States and is perhaps most famous for Lolita, although he also wrote a bunch of other excellent books like Transparent Things, An Invitation to a Beheading. Uh, and also Ukrainian Witchcraft Trials, uh, which is a book by the scholar Katerina Dysa. Uh, and a few other sources uh, to fill in my gaps on Ukrainian history. Uh, but those those are the ones I recommend to you. Anything else, Luke, from the chat? Uh, I Also, we have Wrecked by Elliot with a lovely Skeletor image uh, who found this also <laughs> very fun to listen to. Fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I do want to thank all of our live listeners for uh, offering us your, your commentary and uh, just being here with us today uh i was excited to do this uh, it was a little bit insane i had to do the research in a week because you know we're trying to do a, a topical episode on history which is a little strange uh but i did it during the early days of the pandemic i did a bunch of uh plague-based episodes so uh, i thought this topic i thought that the world events were significant enough uh, that it warranted jumping in and giving this another go doing another topical history podcast <laughs> uh, but i also wanted to try it live and and i really feel like it worked out don't you luke i do i enjoyed it i uh from the chat as well our fellow alchemical actors speaking of those guys they were our voices today john cook savannah verrett and brandon Wallace. you guys want to say bye bye yeah thanks guys a lot of fun yeah thank you guys so much for joining us yes goodbye thank you my name is Rob C. Thompson, joined by Luke Kinneman, master of the Discord waves, also a uh, uh, Discordian man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all the above. Say an additional thing, but it turned out to be just sort of the same thing. <laughs> Join us. Next time would be the end of our uh, doppelganger series uh, here on Occult Confessions. So check us out next episode. Thanks. <laughs>